Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast where every week we bring you insights, news, stories and case studies all about the latest developments in digital procurement transformation and successful implementations, anecdotes and thought leadership all around this topic. And yes, we're the only podcast that does just that out there. I hope you love what we do. If you like it, then please hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify or wherever you listen to us, because as we get more subscribers, we grow and we reach more people. And that's what we want to do. We want to spread this message and get it across to all procurement professionals out there that digital transformation is the only game in town. And today we're digging into another AI-related theme. And the topic that we're going to talk about today is all about perfect knowledge of the marketplace and of the supply base. Is it a myth or an unachievable dream, or is it actually something that we can leverage AI to actually get to? And to talk about this, I would love to welcome to the show, Kent Ledgerwood from Leverdata. Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast. Thank you very much, James. Okay. So when I first read about Leverdata and found you online, I was pretty intrigued in terms of what it can do because it solves a lot of common problems that we come across in the procurement space. And I wanted to approach the topic of today's pod really around something that I learned in economics class pretty much in 101 in the first lecture that I had. And that was all about perfect knowledge, perfect knowledge of markets and on the sales side, perfect knowledge of of customers. And one of the things I would tend to consider would be that salespeople, generally speaking, tend to have a better knowledge of their customers than traditionally buyers have had of their suppliers. But I don't know about you, but I think that that no longer can be can be taken as acceptable because I think as time goes on and disruption becomes the new normal, we're going to need to have much more knowledge of our suppliers. So would first of all, I guess, would you agree that typically sales have always been more knowledgeable of their customers and what can buyers do to improve their knowledge of the supply base? Sure. Wow. Back to economics 101. All right. So very good question. Yeah, the way I look at it is the front office has always been ahead of the back office. So if you're a retail shop, you're putting out the next iPhone, the next iPad, the next thing. Meanwhile, behind you, there's a supply chain that's usually scrambling, everything from logistics through procurement, et cetera. And it's not because of a people problem. It's not because of a process problem. It's because of the availability of the data you need to be able to make the right decision. In procurement specifically, when it comes to you know what we're seeing now with the COVIDs, the world disruption, the, the outsourcing, everything that's been going on, what, what's becoming very apparent is transparency is king and being able to democratize that data down to the user level for the user, a procurement buyer, a GCM, a planner, to have the most you know, up-to-date and real-time information that they can get their hands on so that they can work with their community, their ecosystem of suppliers and network providers, et cetera. It's not the game of data and data management, whether you're in sales or whether you're in procurement, 
is not about just having leverage. Everybody wants the data first for leverage, leverage and negotiation, leverage and a sales deal. But that's not the future of supply chain. The future of supply chain is we should all be able to see the same map of where we're headed, see the same traffic patterns of disruption and what we need to do to avoid those and be able to act in concert because at the end of the day, we're all in it to be equitable shareholders in the product lines and the and the continuity of supply that we want to get to market. So the ethos really is not so much for procurement to get one step ahead of, of sales or, or of their vendors. It's really to have all of that data that's available, as you say, democratized in one place in an easily digestible format. So as we can all see the direction that we're going and be able to collaborate in a more coordinated manner going forward than what typically has happened in the past in what may have been more combative by a supplier relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think gone are the days of uh, the 800 pound gorilla in the market. You know, gone, gone are the days <laughs> of, of the big company having the advantage. Big companies always have the advantage of buying power, of spend, et cetera. But if you really look at the past, you know, I don't know, let's look at the past, the years of the 2000s, right? It's the small companies. It's the nimble, the fast, the the people that can get their access to the right points of supply demand data and, and be able to act on that data. You know, Uber came out of nowhere and disrupted an entire uh, taxi market. That didn't take years of planning and years of analysis and years of data and leverage and negotiation. It took an idea and it took data and it put those two together. Yeah, I mean, I think Uber is a classic example of of just going into an industry and completely disrupting it. And just like, I mean, I always use mobile phones as an example of look how dominant Nokia was back in the early 2000s and Apple and, and the different platforms that took on Android just ate them for lunch. Going back to the point around data accessibility, do you think that historically it's been that the data has just not been available in an easily discoverable form or that just budgets have been too tight to pay for these subscription services and that's led to a deficit on the buyer side, whereas whereas the sellers have always had you know, easier accessibility to that um, data? I, I think there's those. I think, I think those are definite, um, you know, the accessibility permutation of data, just big, being able to get your hands on big data. I mean, the internet destroyed, uh, you know, Rolodexes. It destroyed, it destroyed that filing cabinet, right? So being able to pass that data around and make it more you know, accessible by people ha- has been a, a light switch that's gone on. But, but I think there's an underlying current of something that has existed forever in humanity, which is he or she that controls that data controls the power. And so that mantra, that just innate you know, kind of business mentality of I'm not willing to share you with you my pricing data, my contract data, my logistics data. I'm not willing to share that with you because those are my crowns, right? Those are those are my jewels in the toolbox here. That if I give those away, I put myself at risk. And what we're seeing now is that's actually not the case. Margins are getting cut so thin that companies are coming together for joint planning. You know, whether it's engineering product to launch whether it's logistics planning of what's a better way to move products, better way to stand up hubs and distribution, to even in pricing and sourcing, right? Being able to expose a bill of material, a cost of goods, and expose the transformation cost and what it takes to put that together really starts bringing these creative ideas to the forefront to actually change industries on a macro scale the way a manufacturing planner or a manufacturing line worker you know, adjust their whip and their Kanban in, in their pipeline. Uh, we're looking at things now that sharing data is still scary, 
but it's actually the right way to overcome the, the mountain of, of, of problems that we all need to be solving together. So. And it's highly industry dependent as well, isn't it? I mean, I, I cast my mind back to, to, I started my career in the automotive industry and you could almost predict by what the steel market was doing, how easy or difficult it was going to be in any given year to hit your savings targets because it was a very combative negotiation. When when steel price was going down, we were battling with our suppliers to get them to give us the, the cost down pretty much as soon as we saw the market price drop. And then at the hint of it going up, they were knocking on our door demanding a price increase. And it was just a constant battle. So, I mean, I completely agree with you that there is another way. But I think in tight margin industries, it's going to be a longer term transition than in some of the more profitable industries. I mean, would you would you concur with Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I mean, there there is no one size fits all. I mean, you know, especially healthcare, right? There are certain things that are proprietary that cannot be shared, should not be shared, right? But for the majority of you know uh, uh, of looking at the consumer products, uh, the automotive, those things, until you're sharing a final design or a prototype that's coming. Once you're in a sustainability mode, the whole game is margin for everybody in the supply chain. The seller wants the top margin. The, the supplier wants the top margin. The logistics provider need to be making their cash flow to buy more assets, et cetera. In certain markets, absolutely, there is always going to be a proprietary and a need-to-know basis. The problem with need-to-know for everybody is by the time you find out who needs to know, you're in trouble. <laughs> right? Yeah, and that, and that kind of segues nicely into what you've developed with Levadata, and and it's broken down essentially into three different types of products or services that that that, it, that the platform offers. And let's start with the supply management platform. So that essentially helps buyers with negotiation preparation in terms of market data that's out there and. If you had to ask most buyers in terms of why don't they prepare for negotiations effectively, the two things that they will always say will be lack of time and just lack of accessibility to the data or knowledge of the markets. I mean, what perfect knowledge won't do for you is actually make those decisions. So maybe you can walk us through what it does and then what limitations the AI has that is, that is still going to be dependent on on having a strong you know, knowledge worker being able to interpret that yeah, data. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let's start with the with the AI uh, you know, black box. Let, let's start with that mystery and, and unfold it a little bit and unpack it. The real point to Levadata or a, a cognitive engine, if you will, is not artificial intelligence. It's augmented intelligence. The buyers, the, the GCMs, the sourcing professionals of the world have been in their business. Just like you mentioned in, in, in the steel market, you knew what was going on in that negotiation. You knew what was going to happen there. Uh, there is no tribal knowledge uh, out there that you can put in a black box and, and, and completely take the human out of it. But what has to be true is you have to enable that human, that human element to have better, faster knowledge because the pressures on them of save more, spend less time doing it, do it with fewer resources, do it with all of these things is the reality. That, that's just the cash flow reality of the world. And so the whole principle behind our platform behind the scenes is, is to take all of that big data. I don't like the word big data, but that's what it is. You take all of this data from uh, uh, market insights, you know, so whether you're looking at a market indices, where you're looking at raw materials, you take the enterprise, the, the client data of their bills of materials, their approved vendor lists, you know, et cetera, their ERPs, if you will, you put those two together. And now you've got a, now you've got two thirds of the view. Now you know how you're performing relative to the market. 
But what you really want to know as a buyer, as a planner, as someone in supply chain is, how am I comparing to my peer, right? So that's the third element, is bringing that anonymized community data together. So taking various supply chains around the world and their data and anonymizing that to a position that says, if you're company A and your competitor is company B, C, and D, here's how you're performing against the market. Here's how you're performing against your peers. And here's how they're performing against the market. So now you're all looking at the supply base the same way. You're now all looking at it from a point of view of, hey, the standard discount that is applied is 15%. I'm getting 10%. There is room for us to grow. What do I need to do from a cost structure point of view to get that extra you know, points of percentage? You know, Is there other business I need to provide? New products? What are those types of leverage that we can go back and forth with? And those words that I just mentioned are not AI. That's the human. But giving the human the element of all that data to be able to make the right decision for them, for their business, for their commodities, their communities, that's the, that's the real augmented intelligence that we want to provide. So it will give them the knowledge of the market and, we, and it will sort of indicate the predictability of what may happen or, way that, or where they may be falling short, but it won't necessarily tell them that, let me just take an example, the reason why their steel in Europe is 5% more expensive than a, than a US company is because the, the tolerances are tighter because of the demands of the European auto industry. It, it wouldn't necessarily tell them that, so it would still need someone with that commodity knowledge to be able to interpret that data effectively and then potentially even report out to a CFO and say, hey, yes, we are paying more, but it's because of X, uh, Y, and Z. Actually, I can do those, right? We can, AI can do those, right? Those are Those are logical data points. But what it can't do is it can't tell you, you should buy this quantity for that product that you're planning to launch in two weeks, right? right? You as the commodity manager need to know your business and what's going on with your sales team, your logistics, your warehousing, so that you can make the, the most informed decision. Any data element, absolutely. I mean, any data element, you can put a business rule on, you can put logic on, you can put eco terms against that and say the recommended opportunity is this. But the power of recommendation is it gives you a starting point. So I may recommend to you that you buy U.S. steel because it's a, a lower price. But here's the here's the trade-off to that. So I can give you variables or any platform. Hey, I can give you variables of here's the pros and cons to, to making that decision. Now you make the right decision. And with that, the augmented intelligence that, that we or, or others would offer would be we would give you a scenario. We'll give you, this is the recommended action, but we'll give you all the levers to play with so that, again, what I'm trying to do is speed you up. I'm, I'm trying to get you to all the data is available. You make the decision based off of adjusting those variables to what makes the most sense for you. It's taking the time to be able to get to that point that you're given exactly. all, of, all of the indicators that you need to come to a decision a lot, lot shorter than it would have been doing it manually or doing it without the use of AI or augmented intelligence. Right. Okay. Exactly. So just a quick interlude before we move on with the rest of the podcast, just to say that if you are a procurement leader or a finance leader in a manufacturing company and you're struggling to get to grips with your spend or you just maybe need an extra pair of hands to resolve a specific issue and drive some bottom line results, just drop me a connection request on LinkedIn 
or just ping me an email to info at jamesmeadsconsulting.com or just follow the link in the show notes to book a free 30-minute initial call with me so as I can learn more about your business and what I can do to help you. So now let's jump right back into the interview. So tell us a little bit about your new product introduction and what that can do. Yeah, the new product introduction is, uh, I guess, first and foremost, we're not intending to be, nor do we have a PLM. We are not a product lifecycle management tool where you design the bomb you know, in your shop, where you go through all the phase gates and the toll gates of approvals for that bomb design. But what we do with the bomb is as you have any status of bomb, whether it's a brand new back of the napkin bomb whether it's a you know matured bomb that you're just redoing for for the next uh, you know version of your product, what we do with that is we take that bomb, we bring that in, and we apply the cognitive insights and the community data, the the market data to that. So that the goal being, you get the best price uh, of that bomb to launch your product faster. In that life cycle of new product introduction, there are you know a, a handful of people that are involved. But there's two aspects. There's the engineering aspect of the right design, and then there's the marketing and sales impact of the right margin you need to have on that product. Our point is accelerate the, the price point of getting that you know, landed bomb cost started you know, on day one. Traditionally in the world of supply chain, is it's a, uh, a siloed event. Engineering designs the bomb, they hand it to procurement, procurement goes through and negotiates their price, gets it to the margin you know, point of view they want, gives it back to engineering, engineering improves the bomb. Again, we believe that the whole democratization of data sharing, of information, of decision-making should be done on the same platform at the same time. So that if I'm in engineering and I'm designing a new bomb, I want to know the cost of these components. What is the best cost I can get today? Because now if I can accelerate that cost of that bomb, then as engineering is designing it, I'm bringing the right price, the right product at the right time, so that I can beat my competition to market by launching that bomb, you know, price ready, design ready within a much shorter period of time than if I have to go through the silos of decisions. Right. And it also speeds up the whole sourcing process because instead of, I mean, it, it almost facilitates something that, I mean, I know these are a bit contentious in terms of whether they're, whether they're good or bad, but it would enable you to do a Dutch auction as well. If you've got an idea of what the market price is, then you're not just sticking your finger in the air and, and guessing. And likewise, if you're a finance person, you're not setting an arbitrary budget for a for, for a project or for a prototype phase or for a for a design and development. If you know what if you know what parts would cost in in production, then it, it allows you then to go out and source a lot more quickly and a lot more effectively. And also if if suppliers are coming in with loss leading prices, you can challenge them on that as well, almost on, you know, on the other side of the coin. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and everything you mentioned is, is again, back to speed. It's, it's how fast can you know? So if you start with a big data pool of part matches, if you give me a part of a, of a memory dim or, or some part that, that you're planning to use for that. And I match that to all of the same form fit and function against that as again as well as your AVL as a well as well as against the community of other like parts to that now you've got a a menu right now you say oh wait i was going to i was going to design an extra capacitor on that chip but here's one exactly like what i'm looking for already at the price i need i'm going to take that as is today so i went from weeks and months of design and decision making to clicks and button pushes of visibility to you know, make that decision faster. 
Wow. So for new products introduction, that's, yeah, I'd never even considered AI for that. In terms of the speed that it can take out from a whole conception through to sourcing through getting initial product in, yeah, I can see how that can really take a lot of time out. I mean, I think the thing for us is we haven't even fully discovered all the use cases it can do. I mean, every day we turn around to, to clients and whether it's a CFO, a uh, an engineer, a chief operating officer, et cetera, they're coming up with new use cases and new value areas on, on the products as is without even looking at it. So a sustainable product, a, a product you have in production and had for five years, how to take costs out of that? Well, put it back into the NPI section, look at it from a design and a cost point of view, and you may come up with faster ways to keep current lifecycle products going longer. So. So finally, the third prong that to, to, to this product suite is supply risk platform. And if I'm right in thinking with any sort of risk platform, regardless of where it comes from or what it does, you're never going to be able to 100% categorically guarantee that you will never have supply chain disruption. But my understanding is that with the with the intelligence and the data and the visibility, and as you say, the democratization of, of the sources of the data and bringing that into one suite, it vastly reduces that probability and gives you the tools that you need to be able to make those informed decisions. To what level does it go? I mean, particularly I'm talking more around, does it give you any insight into your second and third tier supply base if uh, if you're able to plug that in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you plug in as plug in as deep as you want to go, right? That's the that's the hard part of supply chains today is we've outsourced so much that I may outsource to one person, they may outsource to a second, a third, and a fourth, right? So even knowing my supply chain, even knowing the the visibility of my supply chain and what my supply chain really looks like behind me is 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 step one, right? So that's the first level of just seeing, right? That's just that's being in a Ferrari and having a clear windshield. You know you can go fast, but if you've got if your windshield is black and dirty, you can't go. It doesn't matter. You can't see where you're going. So what you need is the first level of visibility as to what your supply chain looks like, where parts are coming from. So the, the reason risk came out is because, uh, you know, I, obviously, as we went through COVID, as Malaysia shut down, as China shut down, as countries started going down, uh, at the same time they were going down, there were plans to come back up, right? And so you needed to know where to put your supply base, where to put your factories, where to put your uh, positioning of flow of goods, et cetera. So it's more on the execution side of supply chain than it is on the on the business continuity planning, if you will. And on the point of business continuity planning, I dare say that there are only probably a handful of firms out there, if anybody would admit the truth, is that no one actually had COVID-19 the, the, the mass effect of COVID-19 in a business continuity plan. And what I mean by that is every company has business continuity planning on what happens in the event of risk, right? What, what is the alt plan B, right? But when things happen at the scale of COVID, at the frequency of what's going on around the world, whether it's COVID, whether it's you know riots, whether whatever it is, the, the scale and speed of risk happening is happening on a much more frequent and a much more global basis so it's now about looking at that total picture of not just what has happened and how do I react to this current situation, but where do I think the next is going to occur? So when you look at platforms like us, we look at the AI in terms of not just COVID now, but where could the next outbreak be? If people are partying on a beach in Southern California, could there be an impact there? And we start watching new sources of data. We start watching these sources of data so that we can be advanced. And the whole game is, 
you're always going to be reactive to an event, but it's how fast you know that event, right? So the sooner you know something could potentially happen, the more you can plan for it up front and make the right decision that if and when it does occur, your business continuity planning is digitized, not not put on a piece of PDF that's stored in a filing cabinet. So. Right. And there are certain part of rip part there are certain types of risk that are more predictable than others. I mean, I think geopolitical risk is a lot easier pr- to predict than something like a pandemic, which just comes out of nowhere, like you said, and no one can predict it. Whereas if if you can see a country sliding into more tumultuous economic time, I think Argentina or Venezuela as obvious examples, that that is easier to predict, but it's never going to be 100%. And like you say, access to the data sources as and when they happen and getting that in real time and, no, and, and, ha- and bringing that into one platform is, is key. I mean, I think in terms of quality of internal data that you're feeding into a system like this in terms of getting risk intelligence on vendors... To what extent is internal data quality a factor in being able to predict risk? To be honest, I mean, it's this This is kind of the, the mentality we went in with. We can't assume that data is going to be good. We have to assume data is going to be bad, right? There are many supply chains, thousands of supply chains in the world. Everybody has a different you know, system of records, even when you use standards. You may call a part number X, they may call a part number Y. So we had to go in with the assumption that data was bad. So you know, our, our process and our belief is that you give me data as is, what I use is cognitive and intelligence to you know, put that data in a canonical database, structure it to a standard, and then portray it back to you in the context of your supply chain. So if you gave me part number one, and my canonical database said part number one is equivalent to all these other parts in the market at these locations where the risk may be happening. I bring it back to you in terms of potential risk on your part number one. So I deconstruct your data to make it into a standard, and then I reconstruct it back to you from a visibility so that it's not a change management game. I'm not asking you to change your business. I'm asking you to speed up and change how you react to things. So data quality at, at a source level is not essential to, to be able to get an impact from the from the tool is what you're saying. It would be it would be good if it was perfect, but the reality is that we know that most data in most companies is poor. It's the reality that we're in, isn't it? It's the reality we're in. I mean, most companies spent the late 90s and early 2000s insisting that master data quality had to be the prime objective. Fix your master data quality. I'll bet you there are still companies working on master data projects from the early 2000s. It's a forever chasing target. And so our point is, is don't chase that target. Use a SaaS situation, an AI, a cognitive, uh, a platform that can take any data in any format and restructure it to come up with the right level of insights without you having to go through months and years of dollars and investment to clean up master data records that are always changing because it's never a static number. It's always a moving target, isn't it? And if you do it once, then then unless you have a system in place to to do it every three months, every six months, yep. you, you're going to be back to square one in, in two or three years' time. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. So final question, Kent, if anyone would like to learn more about this, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you or get in touch with Leverdata? Oh, uh, sure. Anybody can reach out to me directly. Uh, it's Kent Ledgerwood. So it's kent.ledgerwood at levadata.com is my email. That's the easiest way. You can also reach us you know, straight through our website at levadata.com. Everything you need to know, wanted to know is there. And we'll you know, happily show and demo and you know, go through everything we want to. So Excellent. Kent, this has been amazing to learn more about what artificial intelligence can do in terms of 
perfect knowledge of the marketplace and making that more democratized and accessible to buyers because we all know that salespeople have been not just one step ahead, like a hundred steps ahead of us historically. So I'd be really interested to see how this develops and how adoption of this technology progresses as time goes on, especially now with with risky, very diverse supply chains being the new normal. And yeah, who knows, maybe if we catch up again in a year's time, it would be uh, very intriguing to see how this is developed and whether market acceptance has become more mainstream and and, uh, and how much of a, a necessity this is seen to uh, to procurement and sourcing departments to be. So uh, yeah, great to have you on the show and yeah, keep in touch. Great, will do. Thank you very much. Well, you know what they say, every day is a school day. I hope you got a load of value from that interview. I certainly did in terms of learning a little bit more around how we can leverage AI and how we can use market intelligence to really democratize the availability of data and how that then translates into enabling us as buyers, as knowledge workers, essentially, to be able to make that informed decision based on having all of the right data points in place to enable us to do that instead of us just sort of searching in the dark and taking a bit of a punt as we sometimes have to do just because of lack of availability or lack of understanding of the marketplace. And that sort of translates as well in terms of what we discussed on risk management, right? I mean, we'll we'll never get a tool that will tell us what to do, but to have one that recommends what to do with all of the different aspects of potential risk built into it that we need to consider and then allowing us to be able to sort of score those really, really helps us in terms of being able to get to that point of informed decision. Thank you again for listening. I will catch you again next week. Until then, stay safe, look after yourselves and bye for now. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation.